0: Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Tuesday. Hope everyone is having a wonderful week. So so today I am talking to Justin Haskins. You know that name because he's the guy that we talked to about the Great Reset. We're going to be talking a little bit about that today, but we're also going to be talking about a few other things that the Biden administration has done, maybe that we haven't heard about because there's been so much that has been going on over the past few weeks, but are nevertheless very important policy issues uh, that we have to care about that we need to take note. We're also going to be talking about AOC at the Met Gala uh, and her tax-the-rich dress that she was wearing at this very elitist event, and you'll hear my take on that, his take on that, how that actually fits into everything else that we will be talking about, but you're going to love this conversation. My last conversation that I had with Justin about BlackRock and China and the Great Reset and Bill Gates is the most listened to episode of Relatable that I've ever had. And so if that tells you anything about how great this guest is and how much you will love this conversation, just trust me, you're going to. So without further ado, here's our friend, Justin Haskins. Justin, thank you so much for joining us again. I was just telling you before we turned the cameras on that our conversation about BlackRock and Bill Gates in China is the most listened to episode of Relatable ever. And we're coming up on 500 episodes. Wow. That's I know. I
1: know. It's incredible. It is one of those things where it is it just it's such an important issue yeah. that nobody talks about. That nobody talks about it. If people right. just started talking about it. Then I, I really think it's going to gain lots of momentum. And maybe we can actually stop some of this stuff that's been going on that's crazy. So thank you for taking the time to actually talk with me at length about it. Well,
0: you've done all the legwork. I think one reason why it's not really talked about and go back, by the way, if you haven't listened to or watched that episode, we'll link it in the description to this episode so you can go back and listen to it. But one of the reasons why I think a lot of people don't talk about all of that stuff is because it's too complicated. It's just too much like people and then they feel like they're getting sucked into some kind of conspiracy. Rabbit hole, and I think it's also overwhelming. It makes us feel so small and so powerless, and that's why I think a lot of people, you know, they they just won't even touch it. But you're right. I think if collectively there was more awareness about it and more pushing back against it, then maybe. I don't know, maybe it'd make a difference. Yeah,
1: no, it, that's the only way it'll make a difference. I mean, the, the, the only way that this stops is if the people who are orchestrating all of this stuff, who are working together, these are elites and banks and financial institutions, investment groups and the government and elsewhere... The only way this stops is if they get called out on it. They're yeah. terrified of that. Terrified of right. whenever anyone actually points this stuff out, they go nuts. Yeah, they, they go absolutely crazy because they know they're getting away with something. Yeah, and they know it's big. Yeah, they just they. The only way it can be stopped is if everybody wakes up and realizes, wait a minute, what is going what on? You, you guys doing? are circulating trillions of dollars. You're all getting rich. We're losing all of our freedom. Corporations are imposing all these rules on us. Government's now imposing all these rules on us. We have lockdowns. We're destroying. Millions of small businesses, corporations are in control of everything. The banks have all of this power. This, the, the, we're debanking people. We're deplatforming people. We're throwing people off of social media. We're silencing people. This doesn't seem right to me. Yeah. And when you realize that it's all really part of the same plan, the same yeah. idea, then you know it makes a lot more sense. And right. they're they're just like I said. Deathly afraid that people figure yeah. out how to connect all those dots.
0: And when we're talking about it, for those people who may not know, who haven't gone back and listened to that episode yet, we're talking about the Great Reset. Mm-hmm. Can you, I don't know if you can boil it down to a couple of sentences, <laughs> but is there a way to just kind of shortly right. encapsulate what you're talking about? Yeah,
1: yeah, sure. So I think it, the easiest way to to understand it is the Great Reset is a movement It's an idea that the Great Reset term is a branding that they gave it, the people who are in charge of this, who are promoting it. And it's a movement amongst the people who are in the highest rungs of power all over the world um, from the uh, World Economic Forum. And that's the group that does Davos every year or so. Uh, From the United Nations, from various governments, from corporations, from banks, etc. They've all got together and they released this great reset plan. And the plan is essentially to centralize power and control in the hands of the elites, these Mm -hmm. people who made this plan. It's a pretty great plan. And it's all being fueled by money uh, that's being printed by central banks, both here in the United States and elsewhere in Europe. And the way that it's all going to work is we're going to funnel money into the, uh, Parts of the economy that are the quote unquote, you know, good parts of the economy and the good companies, the people who agree to go along with our ideas, whether that's uh, fighting climate change in yeah. the Paris Climate Accords or, you know, reducing the amount of pollution in and, you know, in their supply chains or making sure you have the right ratio of Hispanics to African-Americans at your company. That's a real thing, by yeah. the way.
0: So this goes into that ESG score that we've that's talked exactly about. That's exactly
1: right. That's how they know who the good companies are and who the bad companies companies are. They built this giant infrastructure called ESG, environmental, social, and governance standards. And major corporations all over the world have already adopted this. More than 80% of the large corporations in America have this in place already. Um, In Europe, they're talking about making it the law that every corporation in the European Union has to do this. And so that's how they know who the good companies are and who the bad companies are and who to funnel the money to and who to take money away from and who to impose regulations on and who not. And so that's That's the system. It is already in the process of being rolled out. This is not some like, well, this could happen someday in the future if we're not careful. No, it's happening now. It's already in place. And, you know, when we did that podcast the last time about BlackRock and all of that, I mean, we went into great detail about all of these things. It is complicated. That's they're banking on. That's one of the reasons it's so successful because you can't just explain it easily in five minutes. You got to actually dig into the details. And, you know, that's what we did in our last conversation. And that's why I think people liked it so much.
0: A lot of people are wondering if Biden's vaccine mandates um which you know we've already talked about on this show how i don't think that they're backed either constitutionally logically or scientifically i just don't think it makes a whole lot of sense i think he did a really bad job if his goal was to try to convince people to get the vaccine in his speech i don't think he accomplished that at all it was patronizing (laughs) it was condescending Mm -hmm. it was creepy with his little whisper into the microphone (laughs) um Mm-hmm. But uh, a lot of people are wondering if it's even more sinister than just, OK, he didn't give a good speech yeah. or this is incompetence or he's not thinking clearly his administration is making bad decisions. Some people are wondering if there's maybe some malice behind it and they're maybe connecting it to this whole Great Reset movement of trying to reshape the economy and all of our systems to try to, you know, empower what you call these, you know, this group of elites, but also to... Um, change the way basically we function as a society. And one of the things that people are pointing to in this is not just the reshaping of the economy, but what seems to be a destruction of our healthcare system as well. And One of the things that I'm seeing people say is when Biden has threatened to take Medicare away from hospitals or Medicare funding away from hospitals that don't vaccinate all of their employees in the midst of a staff shortage that is actually leading to what we're seeing in the overflow of ICUs, where there are an abundance of beds in a lot of cases, but there aren't enough staff to actually man those beds Um, and people are quitting because of these vaccine mandates. You just wonder if this is just one of the examples of the Biden administration purposely pushing policy that is meant and is bent towards destruction. Um, And then, you know, people ask the same question about Afghanistan. You wouldn't have done that any differently if you wanted things to go Poorly, if you really wanted America to be embarrassed on the world stage. Now we've heard Secretary Blinken said that we're giving $64 million Mm -hmm. to the Taliban. So all these questions are circulating and asking, okay, is this malicious? Is Biden playing a role in this great reset? And part of that great reset is to weaken all of America's systems, economy, healthcare, all of that. What do you think? Or is that just trying to fit things in that really don't fit?
1: Yeah, so I would argue, and this is going to sound a little bit strange maybe to some people, but I would argue almost everything that happens is in some way related to the Great Reset. Policy-wise. (laughs) Policy-wise. Right. Not everything in the universe. But yes, yes, everything that (laughs) happens in terms of American policy, in Western policy, really, I think is related to the Great Reset. Because the whole purpose of it is to completely reshape society. I mean, that's their goal. They've they've stated that very plainly. They talked about how one of the things they want to do is not just... Push the reset button, which is what the great reset alludes to on the entire economy, but on societies as a whole to rewrite social contracts because existing social contracts aren't working to change all of the institutions in society. Explain
0: what that means. Explain what social contract theory is and why they want to change it.
1: Right. Well, when John Kerry, for example, because you asked, does uh, Joe Biden support the Great Reset? When John Kerry was openly advocating for the Great Reset prior to becoming part of the Biden administration, he was saying that he talked about the social contract a lot, how the social contract is breaking down. Now, what does the social contract mean? What it means is that we as a people, uh, the the people, the public, we have a uh, we've come together to form a society And that society has rules, we've put into place a government and rule of law and all of these things, and different societies have sort of different social contracts where they've come together and decided, we're going to, for example, in the Middle East, there are Islamic societies where the social contract is really built around the Quran and built around Sharia law and stuff like that. In Western civilization, historically, the social contract is grounded in Judeo-Christian ideas that go back... Thousands of years, right? Um, but especially the past thousand years in in the West. That's um, what the basis of our social contract has been for all of Western modern Western civilization. But what John Kerry and other elites believe is that this idea of individual rights being the core centerpiece around um, the way society should be built, the way economics should work, that that doesn't work anymore. That it's led to inequality and to racism and uh, all of these horrible problems. And so we have to rework our understanding of the obligations that we have as individuals to each other, that Mm. institutions have to us um, and the, the, the responsibilities of government versus the responsibilities of individuals and churches and other institutions, we have to rework all of that because it doesn't work anymore. And he would point to people rioting in the streets and burning down police stations and people uh, demanding, uh, you know, for defunding the police and all of this as proof of the fact that the social contract doesn't work anymore. And his way of doing things is not Full blown communism, socialism, or something like that, which is what a Bernie Sanders would argue we should switch to, uh, or a return to uh, what we would consider to be conservative values and sort of the founding principles uh, of the United States, he would say what we need is to move to a more progressive. Model where the elites are in charge of more of society and that they um, uh, build institutions that are better designed to provide the services needed for people in that society Um, and that we need to kind of take a back seat to nationalism. Nationalism is not good. We need to think internationally uh, and individual rights are not necessarily always good. They need to take a back seat to the good of the collective. Uh, And who should be in charge of all of this? Well, banks, financial institutions, uh, government officials, etc. And that's, that's what they mean by rewriting social contracts. Of course, for people who believe in individual rights, who believe that those individual rights are inalienable, that they can't be taken away or destroyed... Uh, This is really scary because, of course, elites abuse their power when they're given too much of it. And that's really uh, what I think The Great Reset is all about. If if you're going to sum it all up into one big thing, what is it? It is the centralization of power in the hands of elites. Here and around the world. That's what it's all about. It's about moving the power into the people, into the hands of the elites, because if they have the power and they can set up a system through ESG and financial institutions and other things that they think. Um, is uh, a more efficient, better way of, of distributing wealth and and power and everything to other people, that's how they would sell it, then we'll all be better off if we could just yeah. give it to the right people. And this idea has been around for it's over 100 for years. Ever. Right. Yeah. And in actuality, um, and Glenn Beck's talked about this a lot on his show, um, you know, this plan, uh, to a large extent, has, has been in existence since at least in America, since at least the existence of the progress, progressive era, the progressive movement of the early 1900s, late 1800s, where they talked about remaking society, rebuilding society, rewriting social contracts, giving more power to the experts in society, putting administrative uh, bureaucracies in charge of more of our society, because that's the the only way we can keep up with these European nations. At the time, everyone thought, you know, the Nazis were, before they were the Nazis, everyone thought this was going to be a great thing, that they were accomplishing all these amazing feats, that fascism needed to have a counterpart. Mm. And the United States needed to move more in that direction because, you know, democracy and individual rights that can slow things down and gum yeah. up the works, right? So this is what ultimately The Great Reset is all about. It's about, instead of competing with you know, Nazis in the 1930s, it's about competing with China, and it's about competing with Russia and countries like that who are able to just build factories by bulldozing down people's apartment buildings whenever they feel like it, or uh, you know, arbitrarily setting prices and wages and things like that whenever they feel like it, or you know, throwing people in prison because they're political dissenters or don't have the right religion whenever yeah. they feel like it. How do we compete with that in the United States? They're so efficient over there. Right. This, These are the conversations that these elites are having in the West, and their answer is this whole reworking of society right. through the Great Reset.
0: All right. Taking a quick break from that conversation to tell you about a new sponsor that I've got for the show. And that is Shaw Moni, and a specific product that this skincare line offers called Genucel. So if you have been looking for um, a, new, a new skincare routine, when I turned 26 and I realized that at that age, my skin had started to actually deteriorate, like that's when you start seeing some of those fine lines and those wrinkles, and you have to start really taking care of your skin a little bit better. I decided that I was going to take more seriously my skincare routine and Cell from Chamonix, Make sure that you can do that in a very easy, affordable, and effective way. So this is what Susan from New Jersey wrote about Genucel, which is uh, which takes care of the bags and the puffiness under your eyes. She said, I've been using Genucel for a couple of months. The puffiness around my eyes is gone. Even the crow's feet and small lines have disappeared and haven't come back. I love your product. I use it under my eyes, around my cheekbones, and on my eyelids. Uh, lots of people love this stuff. They sent me some product. It smells good. It's really high quality. It is awesome. Now, we believe on this podcast that signs of aging um, are a blessing because it shows the privilege of of life that you have been given by God. But there's nothing wrong also with just taking care of your skin and stewarding our bodies in a healthy and responsible way. And Ginucell helps you do that. So go to love lovegenucel.com slash Allie. That's love, G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash Allie to get 50% off all GenuCel packages during the final days of their end of summer clearance sale at lovegenucel.com slash Allie. And if the goal is the reworking of society to kind of concentrate power in the hands of the elites, one way that you have to do that is you have to kind of demonize the idea of individual rights. You certainly have to demonize the idea of getting your values, your protection, your provision from anything other than the I don't even know if the state is the right word, but some higher power, which this group of elites thinks that they will one day uh, one day be. And that means that you really have to weaken everything that the West and specifically the United States was founded on. You have to weaken all of the institutions where people go to get their values, to get their protection, to get their sense of belonging and purpose and meaning um, outside of the state. So it could mean at least indirectly the degradation of religion, faith, the family, um, parental involvement, uh, parental rights, the idea of patriotism, of loving your country, of loving the constitution on which this country was founded. All of those things, All of these institutions, all of these foundational values that America was founded on really stand in direct opposition to what the Great Reset is trying to accomplish. Correct. Correct. And so Joe Biden, um, in doing things that just seem like, again, you wouldn't do things any differently if you truly, overtly, explicitly wanted America to do badly what he's doing with the border, what he did with Afghanistan, not just not necessarily Ending the war, but how he did it, um, and deprioritizing American uh, lives, and then what he seems to be doing right now with the economy—what he's doing specifically—I think with the healthcare system is just criminal. Like I said, when we're already experiencing staff shortages that are leading to it's leading to a loss of life, um, I, this seems to, at least in some way, fit into the goal of the Great Reset by doing everything you can yep. to weaken the United States. Do you think some of the economic impact of Biden's decisions have, I know you said basically everything has something to do with the Great Reset, <laughs> but I guess the question would be, yeah, how? And especially when we look at like supply chain issues that we're having right now that are very serious, does that play into all of this? And if so, how does it?
1: Right. So when the Great Reset first launched, uh, Prince Charles, who was one of the Uh, He was one of the co-hosts of the initial uh, big Great Reset events that occurred in June of 2020. This is sort of at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic came out and said, and this was echoed by numerous, numerous leaders, world leaders of uh, leaders of every big international institution you could think of, practically, came out and said this was the COVID-19 pandemic was a golden opportunity. Those are his words, a golden opportunity, golden opportunity to do what? To fix society. That's how they viewed it. A massive, Global pandemic killing hundreds of thousands, potentially millions of people. And he was not the only person who said that. No, it was a golden opportunity to change society. So I think what what's happening here is every opportunity they get, and it could be a pandemic, it could be, it could be anything, it doesn't matter is going to be utilized in order to roll out as a, because you have to have some justification for rebuilding society, right? You can't just, when people have pretty high living standards, which we have in the West, especially in the United States, you can't just say, you know what, everybody, let's blow this whole thing up. You can't do that, nobody will buy into it. But if everything's horrible, then people might actually buy into this. They, mm. they would be willing to do anything in order to fix society if things are broken enough. So I don't think that they wake up one, I don't think that they woke up one day and said, you know what, let's re- release a virus into uh, the world and let's kill a bunch of people. And now, then- some people do think I that. know some people <laughs> think that, but I don't think that's what happened. What I think has been happening for a long time is they've been looking for opportunities to do something like this. And they finally had something that was a believable justification. Climate change has been, is, and they identify climate change as the long-term justification very early on. They said COVID-19 is the golden opportunity to get this thing going. But COVID's not going to be here forever. Climate change is going to be even worse than COVID-19. And so we have to do these things now. Let's take advantage of everything being destroyed right now. We can build back better. This is where this this phrase comes from. It actually comes from the World Economic Forum. Biden just adopted it after the fact. This idea of building back better so that we can prepare for a climate change catastrophe yeah. in the future. And so you can see there is this, there's going to be this endless uh, rotation of different problems and crises that need to be solved in order for uh, the the elites to complete this plan of rolling out the Great Reset and working society. It's, it's right now, it's COVID-19. And so every opportunity Joe Biden gets to exert more power, to try to seize more power with COVID as a justification, he's going to do it so long as people believe that's a valid justification. When that stops... And someday, hopefully it will stop. And almost everyone will say, you know what? We shouldn't lock down society anymore. We don't need vaccine mandates. Well, then he'll switch to climate change. And then if people don't believe that, he'll find something else. And it will go on and on and on forever. And as long as you can control the narrative through the media and especially through the media, but through academic institutions and other things, then you can get a lot of people to believe that. And if you can get enough people to believe it, Well, then you can rework society over time. And I think that the difference between COVID and and, and previous periods is that this is big enough and scary enough and killed enough people that a lot of people were willing, millions, tens of millions of people were willing to say, you know what, I don't care. You can do whatever you want. Just stop the crisis. You can take away all my freedom. I don't care. Just stop it. And that's the most terrifying circumstance. And now that a lot of people are not feeling that way, Well, they realize we're running out of time. We got to keep this thing going as long as we possibly can. But I wouldn't be shocked if next year they're not talking about this at all. Maybe it wouldn't surprise me at all. And instead, it's climate change. We're all going to die from that.
0: Yeah. And I I think, though, that I mean, looking at the polling, I remember seeing uh, a a poll from before the 2020 election and what people really thought was important and why they were voting the way that they were. Climate change came in like last place. Now, I also happened to see a Pew Research article this morning that said really generations are divided on climate change as is usual with the kind of progressive issues. The youngest generation cares the most about them. I think it's like 75% of people ages 18 to 29 in the United States are very concerned, they say, with global warming. Um, I just don't really believe them. I don't actually believe that they really care enough to change their lives. And so I'm just wondering if there will be other crises that are manufactured, certainly before the midterms. I think a year from now we're going to be talking about some other political crisis that Democrats used to say, you have to vote for us in order to save your life. Um, I just don't know if climate change, you know, I I can see the elites thinking that that's super important and really caring about that, I think for most people who just want to feed their families and have a good life, it's really hard for them to connect their daily experience with, yeah. with climate change. So I just don't know well, if that strategy is going to work.
1: It, it's a, They've been trying the strategy for a long time.
0: A very long time. A very time. long
1: time. And so uh, if there was – I agree with you totally that the the vast majority of regular people have already decided – that in practice, regardless of what they tell pollsters, in practice, they do not believe that climate change is an existential threat to humanity. That's the line that Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. yeah, Yeah, they're all, it's an existential threat. Existential threat means humanity could be wiped out By this problem. That's what it means. Nobody actually believes that in practice because if they did, we'd all be moving into yurts and living in the middle of nature because we don't want to die from climate change. No one believes that. And John
0: Kerry certainly wouldn't be taking private jets. Of course not. And Barack Obama wouldn't have a huge mansion and a plot of land on Martha's Vineyard. Right. And Harry and Meghan wouldn't have an 18,000 square foot house (laughs) in Malibu. Right. If they really cared. What they actually mean is they don't want you and me to contribute to climate change. However they think we are. Correct,
1: so, but to answer your question, they've been doing this for a long time, which seems to suggest to me that they probably will keep going, even though it has not worked so far, because I think they would have given up already if they, uh, I mean, the writing's been on the wall for a long time. This doesn't really work that well. So I think the goal has been over a long period of time to just keep ratcheting it up. The problem is we're not making it scary enough. Let's make it scarier and even scarier, and even scarier. And every wildfire is now climate change. Every hurricane is now caused by climate change. Every natural disaster that exists, it doesn't matter if it has something to do with climate change or not, is because of climate change. People die from asthma, that's also climate change. It's whatever happens in society is being caused by climate change. It could be a snowstorm. it could be extremely cold weather, it doesn't matter. And so I, the reason I think they're gonna stick with it, at least for a while.
0: Well, some genuinely believe it. Some do. too. Right.
1: Some do, especially regular people, you know, uh, who are just walking around, you know, listening to, uh, you know, watching ABC News and stuff like that. Yeah, I think a lot of people believe it. Um, Some elites probably believe it, at least to some extent, just like they believe COVID is a problem to some extent. But the point is you need a justification, right? When you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So when you're looking for justifications all the time to rework society and you have climate change and you've got people saying, well, this could cause all these natural disasters and all these problems. Well, then that's a pretty good nail. We need to make sure we keep hitting that. The reason why I think they might stick with it is because it is the perfect justification. It's perfect because it's always in the future. It's not something that you actually are dealing with now. It's this could happen 20 years from now, 30 years from now, then 20 or 30 years goes by, doesn't happen. And they could say, well, it's <laughs> right. 20 or 30 years away. It's an existential threat, meaning we'll all die from it. Yeah. But it's so far in the future that we're all gonna die from it that none of us will even be alive to know if this will wipe us all out. Right. And so, and it accomplishes everything that they've always wanted, even before they came up with a climate change crisis. So it does so everything they want. Do you think there's any
0: legitimacy to the concern that some people have about climate change?
1: I think climate change is going, I think climate change is obviously happening, and I think that climate has always been changing, and I think humans may even be contributing to climate change, and it might even cause problems. But all of the data that we have, every data that you could possibly look at shows that climate change is not an existential crisis, that the benefits of affordable energy are way, way better than the harms that could be caused by any sort of contribution to climate change. That deaths from things like extreme weather events have been steadily dropping over a long, long period of time in the midst of climate change. That when you look at hurricanes and the number of hurricanes and intensity of hurricanes, when you look at tornadoes, when you look at wildfires and the number of acreages burned and all these different things, these things are not getting worse. In some cases, they're actually getting better. And that humanity is surviving and even thriving because of technology, because of affordable energy, in a way that they never were prior to us having fossil fuels. Fossil fuels is the, the cheap, affordable energy is the greatest thing that has ever happened to humanity uh, in terms of economics and improving the quality of life. And anything we do to reduce that is going to harm, especially the lower income people in society. And and more than that, even. L- countries that are sort of low and middle income countries, because they don't even have the infrastructure that we have here. So, you know, maybe people here, a lot of people here can afford to pay a little bit more for everything, because that's what's going to happen if we switch to renewable energy sources Mm -hmm. like wind and solar. But in a country, in a a place like Africa, that's not the case. They need as much affordable energy as possible right now. They don't even have hospitals that are functioning all the time. The electricity goes out all the time. People die constantly just because the hospital can't keep the lights on. So we are not there. They say they care about these people, but then they're asking them to run their entire countries on windmills and solar panels. And it makes absolutely no sense. So do I think that, um, and by the way, people like Michael Moore even agree that this is a giant scam that these plans for renewable energy don't work and will never work. Um, and so it's not even just a left-right thing. There are a lot of people on the left, if you're willing to look for them, who admit that green energy and all of this stuff isn't going to work.
0: But Biden is supposedly pro-green energy anti-fossil fuels, correct? Correct. That's why he stopped the construction of the Keystone Pipeline. That's exactly But then right. he called on... Um he, he called on foreign sources of oil to produce more oil, correct? <laughs> yes. So again, is this a malicious intent to try to weaken America's reliance on our own sources of oil and just weaken America in general? I mean, it just seems like every decision he makes is about the deprioritization of American prosperity safety, security, and lives.
1: Yeah, I think that the way to think about it is that the people at the top, uh, including Joe Biden, who is a big Great Reset supporter, we know that. John Kerry has told us that Joe Biden supports the Great Reset and believes in all of this and that he's going to help implement it. I think
0: Biden himself as an individual would benefit from a great reset being turned off and turned back on because his brain doesn't seem to be functioning and sometimes that actually works you know it yeah. works whenever my computer is running really slowly yeah i'm like oh i'll just need to turn it off and turn it back <laughs> on. i just need to reset it i think there needs to be a factory reset yeah. of joe biden uh, right, with, well. without
1: a doubt and i think the people around joe biden are the ones pushing it the most to some extent i do i do believe joe biden always believed in this kind of stuff he's been in these circles forever but i also think that he's not all the way there and you know he's the people around him are promoting these things and pushing it and he's just kind of going along and reading the teleprompter and it's all kind of jogs his memory to, yeah i used to believe this at some point in the past i think uh (laughs) right and so he just goes in the same direction that they want him to go in the people who are around him are unquestionably all in favor of this reworking of society and using climate change and COVID as the key justifications for making it happen. John Kerry is the biggest, biggest supporter of this. And he is the uh, he's on the he's in the cabinet. He's the special climate envoy for John uh, for uh, Joe Biden. Um, He's been a close political ally of Joe Biden for a very long time. Um, and he's he's pushing this more than anybody and openly telling other world leaders that Joe Biden supports all of this. So do I think that Joe Biden is deliberately destroying the economy, deliberately making things worse? No. What I think is happening is that they believe that this is all, in the long run, going to be for the better. I think, yeah, they think maybe temporarily prosperity drops a little bit, things are a little bit worse. For some people and not for others, okay, yeah, that's fine but society will be so much better off with us in charge. Just give us enough time. It's gonna be painful at the start. But once we're in charge of everything and we can, you know, turn on the money printers even more and and just send people cash in the mail, and a lot of people won't even ever have to work a day in their lives. And we're gonna save the planet from climate change and we're going to make sure everyone's taken care of, and we're gonna have elder care, and your two-year-old's gonna be going to school for now, you know, we can't even wait till they're five or six. We gotta send them when they're two years old now or three years old into universal pre-K. So like. This whole concept, all of these things, they think we're all gonna be better off, including us stupid sheep. We're all gonna be better off too. Just let the shepherds lead us to the promised land. And if we, it might be painful at first, but eventually we'll get there and we'll all be better off for it. So do I think they think that this is making us worse off? No, I think they believe that we're all going to be better off with them in charge. It's just the transition period is a little rough. That's yeah. all.
0: So what they would say is that we're currently experiencing that rough transition period or that the worst is yet to come. I,
1: th- I think that they believe this is uh, the worst that it's going. to I think that they-, they think we're just about to turn the corner. That's what I think. Now, I could be wrong, and I do know some people who believe that one of the reasons they're being insane about these COVID restrictions is because they actually know things we don't know about COVID. I've heard that theory, that maybe they think that COVID is going to get a lot worse before it gets better and that that's part of all of this, that they don't want to tell people because they're afraid to tell people. That's very
0: charitable. That's a charitable interpretation that they actually care so much about our well-being that they're really trying to get Trump voters to get vaccinated. The (laughs)
1: psychology of these people is difficult to pin down, right, because on the one hand, it's like with climate change. I think a lot of them do believe climate change is a big problem, right? But do they really believe it's an existential crisis is going to wipe us all out? I don't know. But I think that it helps them sleep at night. Yeah. You know, you know what? All this power grabbing that we're doing, all this money that we're making, it's worth it. It's worth it. And you guys are all going to be better off, too. Don't worry about it. And even if, uh, you know, climate change isn't a crisis, that's OK. Even if COVID isn't as deadly as we think it could be, you know, that's OK, because at the end of the day. These, this reworking of society is a good thing. This is all just a golden opportunity to do the things we should be doing, but you stupid sheep won't listen to us, and under normal circumstances, we need crises to get you people to change the social contract and do with this, all, all this other stuff.
0: All right, second sponsor for today is Good Ranchers. You guys know them and love them well. Last night... I made um, the non-pre-marinated chicken from Good Ranchers. This is like better than organic chicken. It's very high quality. I love it. As I told you yesterday, I had thought it the night before last, and then I ended up not cooking it. But last night, um, I cooked it, and I cooked it with some cauliflower rice, and I made like this Asian dish that's kind of like fried rice, but a little bit healthier. I used coconut aminos. I used some... Um, some teriyaki sauce and egg and like peas and carrots and green beans. And then this pre-marinate or I pre-marinated the chicken uh, with coconut aminos and teriyaki sauce. And I mixed it all together and it was really good. I love Good Ranchers because they make meals like that super easy and they make it really affordable. And I just love the Uh, I love the convenience of good ranchers, and I love that it's high quality. I love that all of their meat comes from American farms and American farmers, and it's not just chicken. They've also got Craft beef. So we get our steak from them. We get ribeye, T bone steaks. We also get our ground beef from them. And so we are using good ranchers' meat most nights of the week. I do not tell you that I use a product on this show if I don't really use it. I do not lie to you. And so my endorsement of Good Ranchers comes from personal experience. It is genuine, it is sincere. I really do love Good Ranchers. They're great people. They've traveled around the country to meet all of the farmers that they work with. That's super important. Right now, that we support American businesses and, in particular, American farmers, uh, you can get a one-time order by going to goodrancherscom alley, Or if you subscribe, you save twenty percent on each box. And then, if you use my link, goodrancherscom alley or promo code Alley, you get an additional twenty dollars off and free express shipping. So that's goodrancherscom alley or promo code alley for that discount and free express shipping. That's goodranchers.com/ally. Okay, one thing that you've written about recently that I don't know necessarily fits into what we're talking about, but maybe it does, is Biden's attack on the Second Amendment. You wrote about this recently for The Federalist, and you said that without passing any laws or without pushing any policy, they are actually infringing on people's Second Amendment rights. What do you mean by that?
1: Right. So when a lot of people have been focused on a lot of different things over the past few weeks. So it's understandable that people didn't catch this. But uh, I believe in August, late August, the Biden administration announced new sanctions on Russia. And those sanctions involved Um, banning all ammo coming from Russia and guns too, but a lot of guns had already been banned from Russia. Now, the reason that matters is because we are in the midst right now of one of the worst ammo shortages the United States has ever had, gun and ammo shortages. And this is just
0: one of the many things that we are short on right now.
1: Exactly. And the biggest reason for the ammo and gun shortage uh, in particular is not just because you had COVID-related shutdowns and things like that, but also because there are lots of people buying guns. And tons of them. Uh, gun sales in the first six months of 2021 were—it's the highest. Uh, period of time that that is for uh, the first six months of the year for gun sales ever
0: because people ever. knew Biden was going to try to come e- ex- out
1: exactly in 2020 was also one of the one of the best years because for people gun saw sales. their
0: cities exactly. burning down so. <laughs> exactly
1: so there are reasons for these ideas right so Biden comes in and they say you know what we're going to put these sanctions on Russian ammo well there is no American made well there is American made ammo but it's being sold out really quickly so gun mit- uh, sellers have been importing um, uh, ammo from other countries and Russia is one of those countries. Lots of ammo gets imported from Russia. It's one of the top uh, countries for distributing ammo to the United States outside <laughs> of you know US companies, based companies. So he issues these sanctions and he claims the reason they're issuing the sanctions is because of this case um, a year ago where um, th- a opposition leader to Vladimir Putin got poisoned, okay? Yes. There had already been sanctions issued based on this. And that happened over a year ago when Joe Biden wasn't president. So now a year later, they're saying we're going to have a whole new round of sanctions on Russia to really teach him a lesson. Now, how does banning ammo from being imported right. into the United States. Well, we're having an ammo shortage. Does that really hurt Vladimir Putin? Is that really, right. is he gonna, you know, just shake his fists at the world and just give up now? And Walt just give While we're sending
0: $64 million to Afghanistan. Exactly,
1: of course not. It doesn't make any sense. The reason he's doing this is it's because of part of a larger movement to make buying a gun, Hard. buying ammunition, and, and just being exercising your Second Amendment rights, increasingly more difficult to do. There are other things that are happening as well. Early in the Biden administration, they um, killed a Trump regulation that would have made it impossible for financial institutions, banks specifically, to deny people access to capital loans and things like that. Um, on the basis of the kind of business they're in, so long as that business is legal. So in other words, a bank couldn't say to a gun manufacturer, we're not gonna give you a loan because you're a gun manufacturer. Even though otherwise you'd be qualified, we're not gonna do that. We're not gonna, discri- we're gonna discriminate against you because we don't like that you sell guns, right? So the Trump administration put in a rule that at the very end of their administration that said you can't do this. If, if they are qualified financially and it's a legal business, then you gotta give them the loan if you're gonna give loans to other people. The first thing Biden did literally, the first week he was in office was kill that regulation Mm -hmm. right away so that banks could discriminate against gun sellers and manufacturers. And that's exactly the kind of thing that we've started to see. Some banks have openly said they're not going, they're going to remove these kinds of businesses from their portfolios so that they are not providing them access to capital. Now, if you're a gun manufacturer or, or just a gun seller, even if you have a small gun shop, but you can't get access to a bank account, then how can you possibly function in the modern yeah. world? You can't. You basically have to close down. And so this is part of a larger movement. This is part of the great reset. Uh, it's part of a larger movement, a, a sort of collusion of sorts between the government issuing a regulation that helps financial institutions mm-hmm. penalize some industries, not other industries, that don't fit in with what elites want. So elites don't want guns. They know they can't just ban guns outright because we have the Second Amendment. So instead, they allow financial institutions to ban guns indirectly by just making it impossible to sell them financially, and more and more financial institutions are doing this. It's just like with social media companies, and you have the government allowing social media companies to exist, allowing them, because they had to make special carve-outs in order to do that legally, allowing them to have all of this power and leeway to silence anyone they want, whenever they want, and then, of course, these social media companies start silencing only the people who are uh, opposed to the policies that these left wing people in government um, uh, support, right? If this was, if all the social media companies were conservative and they were all silencing liberals, there's literally no way that they wouldn't immediately turn to using government to make sure that these social media companies yeah, were so doing true. this. So, this is again, that's also part of the great reset. It's all one big plan to use finance to use government regulations to use investors who are also saying we're going to we're going to pull all of our money Com- uh, groups like BlackRock um, saying we're going to try to divest money from uh, undesirable industries and guns for many of these people is part of that. Uh, it's all one big group of people. They all know each other. They all hang out with each other. They all give money to the same causes. They all go to Davos together. They all go to Davos events and say they're going to roll out a plan to transform all of society yeah. all over the world. They're not it's, hiding it. They're not hiding it. So the idea that it's a conspiracy theory is nonsense it's not even a theory at this point it's it's just out there it's just out there well on our
0: our last conversation on youtube they put like a fact check underneath (laughs) it which was just a link to the wikipedia page about what the great reset was and i'm like thank you for actually affirming what justin is saying (laughs) it It literally just said this is the great reset world economic forum Mm -hmm. blah 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 and so it's, I mean, it's verifiable. Maybe some people disagree with certain interpretation of certain policy, and maybe some people listening are for some of the policies and restrictions that are being put in place. Um, For other reasons, who aren't pro-Great Reset, the fact of the matter is, is that this is playing into the transformation of society. Now, one thing that I find interesting, and I think it's true just in learning from you, is that this is not communist. This is not even really socialist. Yes, it's collectivist in a particular way, and it's certainly devaluing things like individual rights and property rights, but it's not Marxist in the sense of Marxism that we know, Correct. And so you don't see someone like AOC or Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders who are advocating for, quote, direct democracy. You don't see those people as kind of playing into the Great Reset, right? That's right.
1: That's right. And this is very important. When Glenn Beck, Glenn Beck and I have been working on a book for this for like over a year now. And one of the things initially that we struggled with the most, I mean, I mean, for six months was what is this exactly? And initially it was like, well, this is just a way to do socialism, clearly. This is just some sort of way to do socialism. But the more we looked into it, the more we realized this isn't really about socialism. It's not really about communism. Socialism and communism are best defined through collective property ownership and management, okay? It's about collective ownership of property, primarily this is not about collective ownership of property. Under this model, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy that you own nothing. This is one of their certain people have used this exact language on the World Economic Forum's website. Yep. <laughs> um, members of government, by the way, it was a member of government who wrote that in uh, one of the Scandinavian countries. Great. So. It's not that everyone Will collectively own the property It's that the elites Will own the property Mm. And you will become renters You'll rent the property from them And the government Will give you money So that you can survive And everything But they're gonna be In control of it There is no collective Ownership of property There's management Collective management Of property In the sense that You elect people Who then decide How property is going To be controlled Except you don't Elect the bankers You don't elect Central banks You don't elect people at the International Monetary Fund, you don't elect the United Nations, you don't elect any of these people except for the people in your own national government who have all sold their souls to this system anyway, and so it doesn't even really matter. Um, so in that sense, uh, it's not socialistic because it is controlled by the elites. Yeah. In rea- in, in a way, this, is, this system of government to have, uh, I mean, technology has changed things, finance has changed over time. But in a way, this has always existed. Yeah. Always. For the whole history of human civilization, from the beginning of time, as soon as we actually started having civilized uh, uh, communities with leaders in charge and all of that, as soon as we started doing that, there were elites in society who developed and decided, you know what? We should have all the power and control. And that. Karl Marx would agree with me on this, right. okay? Right, well, that's he what I was be, thinking. Exactly, he would be totally in line with what I'm saying yeah. right now. So do I think that communism, which is designed to destroy all of that and to make it so there is no class system at all and everybody has exactly the same thing but according never to their means? Of course not. Everyone you end up with tyranny anyway and authoritarianism anyway. Right. So this is
0: anyway. kind of just skipping some steps.
1: They're saying let's av- in actuality, I think there are some people who think, you know what? To avoid the socialist blood in the streets, the revolutionary Marxism type thing. We have to do this. Hmm. This is the only way we can make sure that we elites still have control and that society doesn't just break down into nothing. And I actually think that that's the subtext to when John Kerry and people like that talk about A need for a new social contract and how the world is demanding a new social contract. And we're seeing this with people in the streets and Black Lives Matters and all this other stuff. He looks at that and he says, these people want to destroy everything, everything, and just have a communist revolution, essentially, and just go to a totally different thing. And we want to stop that.
0: That's what John Kerry. John
1: Kerry believes. But we know we can't stop it by just having individual liberty and doing all of these other things, because, of course, that doesn't work. What we need is we need to be in charge of everything, but yeah. do it in a way that is uh make sure that they get their little slice of the pie, too. Yeah, And that's why they are buying into all these left wing causes. Yeah. Right. Right. It's because it's throwing these people who are marching in the streets a bone.
0: And not only that, but if people like John Kerry and the people at the World Economic Forum see individual rights, rights as an impediment to their goals, then they are on the same page in some ways with the critical race theorists and people at uh, you know, Black Lives Matter and Antifa, because those people also want to do away with due process and individual rights. That's one of the tenets of critical race theory. It questions the uh, effectiveness and the morality of things like due process, free speech, um, all of those things. They are very clear about um, yep. in their uh, in their writings, proposing that we adopt critical race theory. And so they're on the same page there. So I could also see people like uh, like Carrie trying to use them at least to a certain point. Okay, you can aid and abet the destruction of these things, but we'll take it from there. Exactly. And we'll go in a different direction. We're not going towards communism. We're gonna go in this way. And I don't even think those people think that they know that they are being used. All right. Last sponsor for today, another sponsor that we know and love well on this podcast, and that is Annie's Kit Club. So Annie's Kit Clubs are a fantastic way to build lasting memories with your kids while encouraging their creativity. We talked about Annie's Creative Woman Club. I think it was yesterday on the podcast. So they have craft clubs, um, craft kits that they send you every month um, if you're a woman like, you know, soap making and things like that. But if you want to craft with the whole family, they also have these kids kit clubs, which are awesome. They have the Young Woodworkers Kit Club that sends kids' real hammer and nails construction kits. They include real tools starting with a kid-sized hammer and all the instructions that they need. They also have the Creative Girls Club, which sends a variety of projects and introduces your girls to new crafts with every shipment. So she receives two fun kits with different crafts like painting, beading, and more. Just a really awesome gift to your kids or... Um, to maybe nieces and nephews. We've got tons of nieces and nephews. This is a really great gift for uh, for young kids. And it's a really great way to occupy your kids without just sitting them in front of the TV. So go to annieskitclubs.com slash Allie, that's A-L-L-I-E, and save 75% off your first shipment. That's an awesome discount. annieskitclubs.com slash Allie for 75% off. annieskitclubs.com slash Allie. Okay, we have a few minutes left. I want to get your reaction to, we were talking about socialism and AOC. She was at the Met uh, the Met Gala last night. She was in this white dress that says tax the rich on the back of it. This was specially made for her. And she was asked about this also in an interview. So we'll go ahead and play that. When Aurora and I were first kind of partnered, uh, we really started having a conversation about what it means to be working class women of color at the Met. And we said, you know, we can't just play along, but we need to break the fourth wall and challenge some of the institutions. and, And, you know, while the Met is known for its spectacle, we should have a conversation about it. We should have a conversation about it. We should have a conversation about what she, I mean, she makes... At least just in her salary, what? She's making almost $175,000 a year. Is that working class?
1: Well, it is in Washington, D.C. That's true. Where they're all millionaires. And, you know, the, the, the I don't know what... I, I've, I've, I used to know this, but the average uh, amount of wealth held by a member of Congress is like an absurd... It's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. I think it might be even over a million dollars is the average. So, you know, I guess in that sense, she is kind of working class, I yeah. guess. But this, is, of course, is absurd. Um, this is actually it ties into what we were talking about before, how do you, if you're the elites and the AOCs of the world scare you a little bit because you don't want all of society to break down, you don't want all the institutions to disappear because you run all the institutions, you like that. Well, then you flatter them. You invite them to the Met Gala. You give them lots of money. You make them very you popular. You make them an elite. <laughs> yeah, you make them an elite. And the thing about AOC is she is an elite. She would yeah. like to say she's not, but she's very wealthy. She has two homes. She is a, She drives a Tesla. She drives a Tesla. She goes to the Met Gala, you know, wearing yeah. absurdly expensive clothes that working class women don't wear. And she
0: makes herself feel better by saying, OK, but exactly. I'm going and I'm making a statement about it. I'm making all of these people uncomfortable. But really, a lot of people there would also say that they're socialists. They probably would have (laughs) voted for AOC if they lived in her district. They would definitely vote for her for president. So a lot of those people wearing thousands and thousands of dollars who are very rich are right in line, or they say they're right in line with AOC's policy position. So she's not making anyone uncomfortable there. She is right in line with all of them. And I think what she said is true, that they're also just trying to make her and elite and so and i mean i think that that will probably be accomplished don't you
1: oh i think it's already been accomplished and i think you see that with black lives matters too the leadership in black lives matter to millionaires now well own three homes yeah exactly Well, well how did that happen because you what you did was you made them celebrities the elites made them celebrities. They funneled millions of dollars into their institutions. They allowed them to make millions of dollars from the money that they funneled in. And now all of a sudden they've got all these houses and they've got security, private security, and they have all of these wonderful things that they supposedly hated yeah. not that long ago. The When in doubt, when you get a, a really troublesome socialist leader, the way to get them on your side is to just Flatter the heck out of them, make them rich beyond belief and bring them into your class, because at the end of the day, who doesn't really want to be an elite? These people want to be wanted. Yeah. And and that's what you see at the Met Gala.
0: Yep. And it makes them feel better about all of it when they can say that they're advocating for vulnerable people. Cori Bush is another very far left congresswoman who said that uh, she actually said on television um yeah you know i'm gonna have private security if i have to pay two hundred dollars or two hundred thousand dollars i'm gonna pay for private security but funding the police needs to happen i mean (laughs) that is that perfectly characterizes what so many of these professing socialists in congress just how they live their lives i like to say that people like aoc they're really just Larping, they're larping as socialists, which is uh, live action role play. If people don't know, they're really just pretending to be socialists. Yeah. Hassan Piker, uh, I, I think that's his name. Um, he is like a he's a streamer. He claims to be a socialist. He had this picture that said like "Eat the rich or tax the rich," and then it came out that he was buying this over a million dollar home in <laughs> L.A. And they try to you know act dumb and say, "Oh, so I'm a socialist, so that means that I can't buy a house." No, no, no! You know that's not. You know yeah, that's not what we're saying. Course. You are criticizing the elites while you are one.
1: That's exactly right. And that's and and again, I think that this is all part of the plans from elites. Is it's a way to get people out of the way. And now what you've done is you've actually the the elites have actually won because we are sitting here saying these people are totally delegitimized. They're not even real socialists, and now. What you've done is you've you've de- delegitimized the socialist movement, even from people who might be in favor of socialism, because even the leaders of socialism are now looking more like elites. So anytime you get someone who becomes a popular socialist, they become an elite, too. You can never really get that grassroots Marxist socialist utopia that that the you know theorists and academics and stuff always say they want because you always end up with a class of elites at the top who end up yeah. just keeping all the money and power for themselves anyway so it all this is this is a story as old as time and yet they keep perpetuating it over and over and over again no matter how many times it fails yeah it's really amazing
0: it, it really is <laughs> yeah. amazing and you do an amazing job of explaining thank all you. of that for us and breaking it down thank you so much how can people support you
1: uh well they can go to stopping where i'm editor-in-chief and of course heartland.org and if they feel inclined please donate to heartland and support yes. all of our efforts
0: awesome thank you so much justin thanks allie